This morning, I want us to think about the, the passage that was read, John chapter 13. But before we get into that passage, I want us to kind of think about life in general and, uh, and how your life is, my life. And thank you, Will, for doing a good job this morning. But a lot of what our lives end up being, and and I'm speaking of myself, some of you probably live more exciting lives than me, but a lot of my life ends up being pretty ordinary. In fact, a lot of my life seems to fall into the category of boring, even. There's not much to it. There's these kind of big moments in my life where my memory is really uh, strong and, and I can remember But there's other parts of my life that just kind of fall in the cracks. I don't know if you have that, but you know, there's a lot of ordinariness to my life. When the alarm clock goes off, there's a little bit of monotony. There's some mundaneness. Got to take out the trash. Got to load the dishwasher. Got to clean the toilet sometimes. And there's... Sometimes just not a lot of magnificence to my life. And then, and is that, do y'all share that in, with me in, in that regard? Or, or are you living just exciting, breathtaking lives? But the ordinariness of life. And, and so there is a difference, too, between ordinary and then out of the ordinary. And then you've got extraordinary, Right? But out of the ordinary is not the same as extraordinary, is it? Sometimes things happen out of the ordinary. Sometimes we want things to happen out of the ordinary. Sometimes we don't. A lot of times we don't. If you're traveling by plane and you get off the plane, sometimes people say, hey, it was uneventful. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Because if it was eventful, that means it might have went down. But out of the ordinary versus extraordinary. Two different things. Out of the ordinary, I'll tell you one on me. It's not always a good thing. I called my wife, returning home from work, and I said, honey, I've made a mistake. She said, uh-oh, what'd you do? Because, you know, I have been guilty of making numerous mistakes in my life. What'd you do this time, honey? What'd you do? And I told her. I said, I bought you makeup bought you makeup. That isn't something that I ordinarily do. In fact, I've never bought anyone ever makeup. But on one, this day, a couple weeks ago, I bought her makeup. And the reason why I bought it is because I was ambushed by some salesmen. They came to my work. And I was sitting in the hallway, or standing in the hallway, and they came up and they handed me this bag, this gift bag, and they said, hey, we're doing a promotion. I said, great. And they gave it to me and They started talking, then they said, oh, yeah, you've got to pay for it. And, of course, already in my mind, I'd already given that makeup away to my wife, so I had to buy it. And then, of course, he said, well, we'll throw in the the lipstick, too, for an extra amount of money. So then I ended up buying the lipstick, too. So here I am buying all of this stuff that I don't know anything about, probably not even tested or approved by the FDA, But that's out of the ordinary, isn't it? (laughs) But then there's extraordinary things that happen in our lives. And then when we think about the life of Jesus, there are some remarkable things that happen. And, And 
His life isn't out of the ordinary. It's, there's things in his life that are just straight up extraordinary, isn't there? Even his teaching. When you think about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that is an extraordinary piece of literature. That is an extraordinary sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That he addresses the need for a spiritual, heartfelt religion. Something that's beyond the surface. Something that involves the heart of man. It's not just about killing, but it's whether you hate your brother or your sister. It's powerful, isn't it? That sermon needs to be preached today, doesn't it? The Sermon on the Mount. Or where he says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry. And he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then everybody's favorite verse, judge not lest ye be judged. Or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Those are powerful, extraordinary words, aren't they? It says when he got done preaching that they were astonished at his preaching. They'd never heard anything like it. Why? Because it was extraordinary. Then there's the miracles. The miracles. Think about the miracles that Jesus performed. The first one, making water into wine at a wedding. What a remarkable miracle. Then He walks on water. He causes the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the lepers to be cleansed, the dead to be raised. Extraordinary. Remarkable. Amazing. Wow. The feeding of the 5,000. And then, we turn to John chapter 13 in the life of Jesus. During all of these amazing things that happen, and we read John chapter 13, and I hope it strikes you this morning, because He takes a very ordinary thing. Jesus takes an ordinary moment something very unremarkable, and He transforms it into something profound. When you think about an artist, they begin with a blank canvas, don't they? A blank canvas with nothing but potentiality. It's white. It's, it has nothing on it. But an artist can take that very ordinary thing, that unremarkable thing, and then turn it into something wonderful, amazing, can't they? And in the same way, Jesus takes something very ordinary, something that's mundane, something that actually nobody even wants to do, and He turns it into something profound. Look at what happens now before the feast of the Passover. The Passover feast, this is when Jesus is betrayed. This is on the night of His betrayal. And it's during the feast of the Passover. The Passover which represented the freedom of Israel. The Passover where the Lamb was slain. And we remember that when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And now... The Passover has truly come and Jesus is waiting. 
And he knows what's going to happen. It says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. The hour had come for his deliverance into the hands of Pilate. And he knew that his hour had come. Remember in John chapter 2, during that miracle at Cana, the miracle of the water into wine, he told Mary, my hour has not yet come, but now the hour had come. Look what happens. Had come that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And supper being ended. And in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it gives us the picture of the Last Supper. The Lord's Supper is instituted. And this is after supper had ended. It says... The devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. There in the midst of the room was Judas Iscariot. Someone who was already plotting in his mind of where he was going and what he was doing and how much money he was going to be receiving. In the room. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and girded. And He came to Simon Peter. And after that, He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which He was girded. In this very remarkable life, in this very amazing life, we see Jesus washing the feet of His disciples. Who did this kind of work? This was the work of the lowest servant in the household. And Jesus humbles Himself before His own disciples, His own followers, and kneels at their feet and begins to wash them. So many times we underestimate the mundane. So many times we underestimate the little things in life that our lives are so filled with. There's a story about a young boy in 1847 by the name of Homan Wash. And what's interesting about this young boy was is that he liked to fly a kite. And he stood on the banks of the Canadian side across from the American side, and in between them, in between him, was Niagara. And it's some 800 feet across And what the young boy did, he began to fly a kite. And there was actually a competition. If someone could fly a kite and for it to land on the other side, they would receive a prize. And there were all these people out there flying kites. And so he began to fly his kite, and his kite got up to about a thousand feet. A thousand feet. And then it got to the other side. And there on the other side, an American held the kite and in between them was a string about a thousand feet. And now, for once, 
What was separated was now brought together by string. Then they tied a larger string to it and pulled that across. Then they tied another string or cord to that and they pulled it across. Then they, they tied a wire cable to that and they pulled it across. And that was the beginning of a bridge. Of a bridge for the first time, a bridge to cross that chasm of Niagara. And within a year, there was a bridge that was built where a horse and carriage could go across that bridge. But it began with what? It began with a little boy and a kite and a string. So many times we discount the little things in life, but little times and little opportunities are great moments where we can serve and make a difference. What we find is that Jesus in this moment expressed profound love in an ordinary moment. And what I want to challenge you today is, is to take your ordinary moments, which God gives you a bunch of them, don't He? God gives you a lot of ordinary moments, but in those ordinary moments, you can express profound love for the people around you and for your God. How can we display profound love? Number one, humility. By showing humility to those who are around us. And here we have Jesus who was able to walk on water, who was able to raise the dead, washing the feet of His disciples. C.S. Lewis once said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Taking the moment to put other people in front of you, taking the moment to showing them that you truly, truly care. You know, the master of the house would never wash the feet of those around him. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, 36 and 44, we have that story where Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee and a sinful woman comes into the house and she begins to cry and weep. She begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair in tears and she breaks that alabaster box and gives a fragrant oil to wash his feet. And the Pharisee says, if you were a prophet, you wouldn't let that sinful woman wash your feet like that. And Jesus talks about love and that to whom much is forgiven, much love comes from. And then he asks, he says, I came into your house and you have not offered me a kiss, nor have you washed my feet. But yet this woman has not ceased to wash my feet with tears and with oil. We're to live our lives as Christ in humility. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 5, recounting this, remembering this, he says, gird yourself with humility. Paul says in Romans 12, 16, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Our lives are to be humble just as Christ lived. Also, we are to be servants. Jesus said in Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is not he who sits at the table, yet I among you am the one who serves. 
when we think about greatness, the world offers all kinds of rival ideas as to who and what is great. If you look at our magazines, if you look at our news, if you watch TV, then the world says, here's greatness, someone who's rich. Here's greatness, someone who's famous. Here's greatness, someone who's powerful or educated and so on. But when you ask Jesus the same question, that whosoever desires to be great among you, let him or her be a servant. And here Christ adorns Himself not as the master of the house, but as the servant. Also, we can show profound love in ordinary moments by doing something. By doing something for somebody else. A lot of times our words turn into lofty things and they end up not meaning anything. And we overuse our words. We cheapen our words. We throw around the word genius all the time or amazing or miracles or love and we never have any actions to back it up. But showing profound love in ordinary moments is doing something. Paul said in Ephesians 5-6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Doing something. Sometimes we disqualify people from our kindness. Just as that man, that Pharisee, discounted that woman. But Jesus says, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. Maybe the people we discount are the ones who are needing it the most. But Jesus shows us the power of an ordinary moment. Look at verse 6 and following. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, Peter can't believe this. Are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Jesus is revealing something to Peter. He can't begin to grasp the revelation that's happening. He can't begin to understand it. Jesus is washing, washing Peter's feet. And Peter begins to refuse the Lord. He understands this isn't for Jesus to do. Why are you washing my feet? And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to show you humility. I'm trying to show you what a servant is. I'm trying to show you where profound love is. It's in these ordinary moments. And isn't that where we encounter Jesus the most? Is in people who are the least of these. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. They ask the question, well, when did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? When did we clothe you? When did we visit you in prison? And Jesus says that when you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. So when we show and express profound love in ordinary moments, we find Christ. Christ reveals something. And not only does He reveal Himself in this, He reveals salvation. He says, Simon says in verse 9, Lord, not only my feet, if you're going to do this, hey, wash me all over, my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he says, you're not all clean. Jesus washes every disciple's feet 
in the room, even the one that betrayed Him. And it also shows us a picture of what salvation is, that Jesus cleanses us. And not only does He cleanse us, but He continually cleanses us through His cross. The Bible says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanseth us continually. And so Jesus not only washes our feet once, He continually washes our heart and our lives. Jesus makes a difference. So what is it for us? Verse 12, And He washed their feet, taking His garments, sat down again, and He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call Me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Christ is teaching His disciples that profound love is best expressed in these ordinary moments. He leaves them an example. And what a wonderful thing it is that Christ has not just led us, left us with platitudes and sayings. But most powerfully, Christ has left us with an example that even in our most mundane moments, great love can be expressed. And ultimately, this act pointed to the, what He did in the cross. It pointed to His sacrifice, His selflessness, His humility, His servanthood that He expressed in the cross by giving Himself totally to you and me and to this world. And as a result, we are called to live lives just like that. Lives of service and reciprocity. You see, He says, do this to one another. Serve one another. It's not just for one person to serve, it's for everyone to serve. And as a result, there is a blessing in it. Listen, verse 17, if you know these things, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. If you understand what true greatness is, if you understand how to express true love in ordinary moments, it becomes not just a blessing to the person you're serving, but it ultimately becomes a blessing to you. Because you understand who Jesus is. We also recognize who His disciples are. Look at 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this, all will know that you are My disciples if you have love one for another. How do you know you're a disciple of Christ by how you love the person next to you, by how you love your neighbor, by how you love the stranger, by how you love whoever is among us. Christ showed profound love in an ordinary moment. I challenge you this week to take the moments that God has given you, whether they're remarkable or whether they're ordinary, to use them to express that great love through servitude, through humility, 
and through action. This morning, if you're not a Christian, the Bible says to begin this walk with Christ, to begin to follow Jesus, it begins in faith and knowing who He is, understanding Him. Jesus said, except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. It begins with understanding and believing in Jesus. Why should I believe Jesus? Because He's the Son of God. And because of that, I repent from my sins. I turn from that which destroys me and confess Him for who He is. I'm baptized for the remission of sins, it says in Acts 2.38. And I begin to walk that path with Him, that path of forgiveness, that path of humility, that path of serving. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning, but you need prayers of encouragement, prayers of healing, whatever that need is. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.